Sports and Alpha by Benji Mellers is available on Amazon. Order your copy of Sanborn's Boys today. Good morning, Taisei. Good morning, good morning. We're back on a Saturday. Uh, it's actually afternoon now. Yeah, 2 p.m. But uh, close enough, close enough. So mm-hmm. the Habs have uh, rattled off a couple wins in a row, you know, looking pretty good, pretty good. Two uh, in a row. Yep. So want to give a little recap of what happened this week with the Habs? Yeah, so uh, we... We thought we'd be having a show after today's game against the Red Wings, but there have only been two games since our last one, Pittsburgh and Ottawa. We said that the Canadians needed to win at least two games this week, and the ones we had in mind were against Ottawa and Detroit, and they've already won two. They beat the Penguins quite handily, actually, 4-1 to one after a rough first period. And then the very next night, Caden Primo got his first win in the NHL with a fantastic showing against the Ottawa Senators. Which uh, So we, we can start with the Penguins. One thing I wanted to, to mention in particular was that Shea Weber is probably playing his best hockey since he's been in Montreal right now. He looks fantastic. That wraparound goal especially was yeah. straight uh, out of the yeah. 1980s. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, what was the joke? Yeah, last time he did it was in NHL 95. Uh, yeah, video so, game. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so look, this guy, he's been playing lights out. Uh, and it just seems he's been getting better and better. I mean, he started off a bit slow, uh, but he's really picked it up. And, uh, yeah, this is probably the best we've seen from Weber uh, as a Hab. And uh, you know what? I attribute it, uh, a, a big part of this uh, this new resurgence here, uh, to his playing partner. I mean, look, we, we, we've touted Ben Chirot and his great play. And uh, I think I think Ben Chirot's consistency back there, I think Shea Weber trusts him. Uh, and so Shea Weber, you saw on that wraparound goal, uh, he's not afraid to activate uh, in, in the offensive zone. Uh, and I think that's what's leading to all this offensive output. Uh, he's not afraid to, you know, pinch or whatever it is, you know, go for a wraparound. Why not? Because uh, he's got that absolute rock back there, uh, Ben Chirot. Mm-hmm. Eric yeah. Engels, actually, he said something that the with the, the, the surgence of Ben Chirot and Brett Kulak's been fantastic and Mate should be back pretty soon, that the... What once seemed like a glaring need at left defense for the Canadians is is much less pressing right now. They still might try to make a move. I think once I think Alec Martinez was the name they were looking at. Now he's injured, but uh, maybe they'll make some sort of uh, of uh, you know supporting a move for like a supporting left defenseman. But the need for a real top pair player is kind of dialed down a little bit, at least for now. Uh, you know what. You're you're talking about you know acquiring a supporting defenseman on the left side, uh, especially in this rental market. I'm not particularly a fan of that idea. I mean, uh, we've got those three guys on the left side. They're all performing at a a high level this season. So uh, you know, I don't think we need to even find the depth guy because uh, you're looking at the the market, especially this kind this time of year. You know, you're getting closer and closer to the trade deadline. It's not the off season, uh, and and the prices start going up and up. And uh, at this time, you know. You're gonna to have to start giving up good prospects, and uh, you know I wanna I wanna kind of either like you know develop that prospect pool even even more, or go for a big name uh, in a position of need, which the left defense isn't anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so personally, you know, a name like Alec Martinez, 
it doesn't really move the needle, uh, in my opinion, on this team. Uh, and so, you know what, just, I, I, I think I'm at, yeah, I know, I know. But uh, I think absolutely I'm, uh, I'm against this kind of move at this point in time. Uh, I just I just don't think we need it. Yeah, I'd still, I definitely prefer making a move for a big name because even with how fantastic Ben Sherrod has been, the if he could do it for a full season into the playoffs is still a big question mark. So obviously Shane Gostisbehere is my my big name that I've been wanting for for at least a year at this point, or almost a year. And I don't I think know. He would I'm kind of cooled great. off. I I don't know. I think I've cooled off on that idea. Uh, just with this uh, this kind of performance, I think uh, just save your assets for a different move. Because uh, even a Shane Gostisbehere, I mean, if if the price is right, sure. But what I'm saying is you look at the market it is right now uh, and the past few years near the trade deadline, you're looking at guys uh, that are much less caliber uh, than Shane Gostisbehere getting a, getting a lot of value for the teams that are selling off. Uh, so right now, I think uh, I, I put a hold for Mark Bergeron and uh, tell him to cool off. Maybe look at a different position uh, because right now, maybe some forward depth, I don't know, uh, because of the injuries. But uh, right now, the defense, mm-hmm. I think it's looking pretty rock solid, especially on that left side. Yep. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely been exceeding expectations. Uh, we should definitely give some special attention to Caden Primo, who was actually just sent down this morning after playing two games with the Canadians. He had his first win in the NHL on Wednesday night against the Ottawa Senators. Snaps all around uh, for Caden Primo. Go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Only 20 years old. I can't believe it. 20 years old. Yeah, so it was actually. He was on shutout watch for a, a little bit into the third period. Then he, they gave up two goals, but but Ben Sherratt scored the OT winner. And uh, I think I want to to mention something funny that happened. Some people were mad about it uh, after after the game ended. Carey Price went on to go pick up the game puck to give to Caden Primo as a as a souvenir for his first NHL win, which often happens for for goalies or for first NHL goals. And what it looks like happened is Brady Kachuk of the Ottawa Senators. You saw this, right? Yeah, uh, he he had been, he had played with Caden Primo before, I think, on the the U18s or the uh, U.S. development program. Not exactly sure, but they've been teammates in the past. He went and picked up the puck, and it looked like he was going off with it, trying to steal it. And Carey Price kind of just stopped him in his tracks. And before I weigh in on this, were you were you pissed about that? Uh, I don't know about pissed, uh, but it certainly didn't make me like uh, Brady Kachuk uh, any more than I do right now, which is a negative two. Uh, but yeah, this guy, uh, you know, look, it's, it's kind of a funny moment. I'm not angry, angry by any means, uh, but this guy's a dick. Let's, uh, you know, Brady Kachuk, I certainly don't like him on the sense. Uh, I don't like him as a player. And I don't like him on that team. Uh, so, you know, maybe, maybe if we picked him with that third overall pick, I'd like him a bit more. Uh, but, uh, this guy is a rat. He's an absolute rat. He reminds me of a young, uh, Brad Marchand. Hmm. All right. All right. Well, I'm sure he would like that. Personally, like... Some people are really upset. Oh, what a, what a dirty, what a mean thing to do. Like, what? It's not like he tried to to hurt him or anything like that. It's just a puck. It's just a, a souvenir, you know. And what I said about it was, it didn't really bother me that Brady Kachuk stole Caden Primo's first puck when Caden Primo will be stealing games from the Ottawa Senators for years to come. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> well, honestly, uh, looking at the direction of that franchise, I don't think we'll need to steal any games. I think uh, the Ottawa Senators will fold in on themselves uh, without, uh, I think there'll be Ooh. pushovers. Wow, that's yeah. rough. All right, shots that's fired. Rough. Shots fired. That's harsh. That yeah. is harsh. Yeah, I, 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 I wasn't really bothered by that. It was kind of a yeah. trying to get under their skin. 
Nick. Caden Primo wasn't bothered by it either, I don't think. I think he just kind of like, he laughed at it in an interview after. He's like, yep, that's Brady. That's that's what you expect from Brady. Can't, can never surprise you. Yeah, right. I, I think it was a bit of a, a dickish, playful ribbing. Uh, that's what I call it. Yeah, so overall, Primo really impressed me in the two games he played for the Canadians. More than I was expecting. They sent him down today because the Canadians don't have any back-to-backs till after Christmas. So he wasn't going to get any playing time. They sent him to Laval. I think he's playing this afternoon, actually, for the Rockets. And Charlie Lindgren has been called up, presumably just to sit on the bench and, uh, you know, participate in practice for the time being. Yeah, so uh, this goalie situation, I, I don't know what's happening because oh yeah, on, on both fronts. First of all, let's look at the backup front here uh, because uh, we're just going to accept the fact that uh, we don't have a, a viable backup. I mean, you mentioned Charlie Lindgren. This guy's just a bench warmer. Uh, let's face it, he's probably uh, – I'd be, I'd be surprised if he played a single game uh, from now until Christmas break. Uh, so honestly, I think he, we're, he, we're just calling him up to sit on the bench just in case Price gets injured, God forbid. And uh, – Okay, that's that's that front. So, what what are your thoughts on that backup goalie situation right now? Uh, I think if I think it makes sense that you're not gonna be playing Primo when it's not a back to back situation, especially before Christmas. And I definitely don't want him sitting on the bench not playing for two weeks. So I still think that right now Caden Primo is number two on the Canadian depth chart. I think that after Christmas or when there's a back to back incoming, I would not be surprised at all to see. Primo get brought up again to play in those games, to play in the, the backup goalie situations. I also wouldn't be surprised if they if they let Charlie Lindgren play a little bit because from when he's played in the NHL and in the preseason, he's been impressive, I've found. I'm not exactly sure how he's been doing with the Rockets so far this year. But I think it's really a possibility that Keith Kincaid is already number four on the depth chart now. And honestly, he's probably, out of those three, out of Kincaid, Primo, and Lindgren, He's the one I'd be most surprised to see get into any more action at any point this year in the NHL. Really? Keith Kincaid, yeah. you've already given up on him? Okay. Not me. That I just feel like... Well, well, you think the team has given up on him. I feel like if they wanted someone to just sit on the bench they, and they believed in Kincaid more than they do in Lindgren, they would have called up Keith Kincaid in case Price gets injured. But it looks like they have more faith in Charlie Lindgren. Right. I don't know. Doesn't I think uh, no. I I kind of disagree with you on that because I think the point of this call up uh, is, as I said earlier, just to sit on the bench. And you mentioned it too. Uh, so why would you call up Keith Kincaid if he's not going to play anyways? I mean, they talked about uh, when they sent him down. They talked about building his confidence. Uh, sitting on an NHL bench ain't gonna build no confidence out there. Uh, so look, I don't think the. In my opinion, I don't think uh, you know the Habs have totally given up on Kincaid. Uh, and as a fan, ideally. I think uh, you get Kincaid up and back out there uh, if if he if he manages to improve. Obviously, if he's not the caliber of a backup goalie, then obviously you don't put him out there. But uh, ideally, in my opinion, I mean, look, uh, I I don't totally trust uh, Charlie Lindgren. I have no idea what we have there, and uh, I'd like to see Caden uh, Primo develop a bit more in the AHL. So ideally, I think uh, Keith Kincaid comes back up after the Christmas break if he manages to to figure it out up there. Did the Canadians really say that they sent Keith Kincaid to the Rocket to build his confidence? Because I don't see Caden Primo that. will be getting the vast majority of the start. Oh, Julian did? All right, well, yes. anyway, because I don't think they meant it. Because, at least for now, Caden Primo will be getting the vast majority of the starts for the Rocket. I think having Keith Kincaid, who's a, what, about 30 years old, 
signed to just the end of this season, and then presumably you're going to let him walk. Having him build his confidence back up is very low on the list of priorities for Canadians goalies behind make, making sure Caden Primo gets into games and develops properly, making sure there's a competent backup for Carey Price. Well, I think the solution to both of those is uh, to build up Kincaid's confidence because if you manage to do that, you can call him up. And then now you have a competent backup in the NHL, and Primo plays in the AHL, and you you fix his develop you uh, you know improve his development out there. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I do not picture a situation where Keith and Cade will be getting into any more games for the Canadians this year. I just with how how he hasn't been doing so great with the Rocket and how great Primo did with uh, with the Canadians, I don't see it happening. And yeah, uh, I yeah guess- so. I guess that's. Uh, I guess we'll see. We'll see where that goes. Uh, Ryan Paling was called back up for. Uh, did he just? He just played one game, I believe. He just played the Ottawa game on Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was playing on the left wing on the fourth line with Nate Thompson and Riley Barber. I think he only played about ten minutes, but I think he looked great. He looked better than uh, the first couple games he played this season, at least. And they sent him down to play, I think, a game or two with the Rocket, and they called him back up today. He'll be he'll be playing against the the Red Wings tonight. What were your uh, any thoughts about Ryan Paling? Yeah, uh, I thought he looked great out there. Uh, obviously, it was in limited ice time, but uh, whenever he's on the ice, you know, he's making up and making plays. And Claude Julien noticed that, and he was like, you know, those 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 minutes were were man minutes or something like that. Uh, so he praised them after the game. He noticed that, and uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, look. Paling, guys, he's looking good, and uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say. What do you think? Uh, I'm pretty torn on what the smart thing to do with Ryan Paling is, whether it's to to, uh, to leave him with the Canadians or to to uh, send him back to Laval. Because on one hand, you see it happens a lot now. Uh, the Canadians farm system has really had a, a turnaround the last couple of years, and it seems like they've really figured something out. Who's the who's the coach down there in the the Rocket, I can't remember his name. Joel Bouchard. Joel Bouchard. Right. Joel Bouchard. He's been doing a great job. You saw last year with uh, Mate, they sent him down for a couple of weeks in November, and he came back up. He was he was a thousand times better. And I think the same thing could possibly happen with, with Ryan Paling. We we saw how, how great he looked uh, the other night. On the other hand, I see what happened with, uh, with Nick Suzuki, how at the beginning of the season – he kind of looked like he was a step behind, a little bit, a little bit out of place. He wasn't playing that much. He spent a lot of time in the fourth line, but then he he became more confident and he figured it out. And now he's playing tons of minutes. He's playing at center now, and I think Ryan Paling, if given the opportunity to stick around in the NHL, if he's told, "Yep, you're you're here full time," and they play him maybe close to I don't know, twelve, thirteen, fourteen minutes a game, rather than nine and a half that the same kind of thing could happen. So I am thankful that it's not my decision to make. How about you? Yeah, uh, I just, I'm not a fan of what they're doing right now, totally. I think it's uh, it's kind of, you know, you're trying to play the middle with this, you know, fourth line where they send them up, send them down in some weird paper transactions. I think, uh, you know, you can you can stunt the growth of a, the development of a prospect that way. I think they should pick one. I mean, if they want to go the Suzuki route, uh, that's fine by me. And if they want to send him down to Laval, that's also fine by me as well. I think they just got to figure out what they want to do because, uh, honestly, I think this back and forth, uh, not great for a young prospect like uh, like Paling. And, uh, yeah, but th- that's about it. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. 
he, he looks good, and he he, he looks really good. And uh, as we said, when, when he's out on the ice. Uh, he looks like he, he belongs in the uh, in the NHL. I mean, he could totally he could totally pass off as a as a you know cop the NHL or even right now. So I wouldn't have a problem by mm-hmm. any uh, stretch of the imagination in the NHL. Uh, but I don't like this limited minutes. You know, only nine minutes. Yeah, if I had to to predict, I think that uh, Byron will be back within the in a week or so, and probably the same with Kotkaniemi. So at that point, I think we'll see Paling back in the AHL with the Rocket. Uh, yeah, that's what I expect to, to happen. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so okay. is that about it for Habstock? You want to mention anything else? Uh, I can mention that they'd better beat the Detroit Red Wings tonight, who were just on a 12 game losing streak and broke it against the Winnipeg Jets on Thursday, which personally I was thankful for because if the Red Wings were coming into tonight on a 13 game losing streak, I probably would have been pretty anxious that the Canadians would be of all teams. The one that they break it against. Yeah, and uh, given what we've seen, uh, how they've played down to the competition this year, it wouldn't have been an absolute shocker, uh, hence the anxiety. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, what, what, what's their schedule coming up uh, before our next episode? Uh, coming up before our the next episode, I can I believe it's, so it's tonight, then Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. I just, I don't remember the teams. Uh, here, I got it in, in a second. Yeah, so tonight they play the Red Wings. On Tuesday, they are playing in Vancouver at 10. So, yeah, this might be the Western road trip this week. Uh, yeah, and then it's yeah. the Flames on Thursday and the Oilers on Saturday. Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. So they're playing, uh, they're all, they're playing all yeah. the Western Canadian teams uh, in a row uh, away on the, in the West Coast. Mm-hmm. And not too many years ago, that was a uh, normally a pretty easy trip to make, but not so anymore. The uh, no, the Flames no. are on a heater, think, which we'll we'll get to at the end of the show. I think uh, they're so, all playoff teams at this point, right? Uh, not the Canucks. I think they're just outside the playoffs right now. Well, okay, but none of them are uh, basement dwelling as they have been in the past. Yes, they are, they are all definitely formidable opponents. All right, so let's get into the uh, the two. Big pieces of news from around the league this past week. Two more coaches have been fired. Uh, yeah. John Montgomery, Dallas Stars, was fired on... Jim Montgomery. One... Did I say John? Yes. Jim? Jim Montgomery. Yeah. Uh, has been fired by the Dallas Stars. <laughs> I think that was on Monday that happened. And Peter DeBoer, San Jose Sharks coach, was fired on Wednesday evening. I might have gotten the days wrong. Anyway, sometime okay. this week those happen, um, and amidst all the all the uh, coaching abuse controversies recently, Bill Peters especially, and Mike Babcock to a lesser degree, uh, there's been a lot of suspicion as to the reason for uh, Jim Montgomery's firing, especially because we don't know why it was. The official release by the Dallas Stars was it was due to unprofessional conduct. Uh, because the stars have been very good for most of this year, and there's really very little indication as to as to the main reason. And I don't really want to get into guessing or forming hypotheses because I don't feel like it's my place to do that sort of thing. No, uh, I don't think we should. But uh, yeah. let's look. At, let's take a look at the facts here. Yeah. Uh, look, 
I have no idea what he did, and uh, but uh, it's got to be something uh, significant because what's the story? I think he got the call on Sunday. Uh, Jim Neal did, and then he fired him a couple days later. Uh, so that was faster than Bill Peters' firing process, uh, or resignation, I should say. And, and so, uh, look, I, I, I don't know what's happening here. Uh, it, it really came out of nowhere. Uh, you saw Tyler Sagan said it was, a, it was an absolute, uh, you know, total surprise for him. Uh, and so, yeah, this kind of really came out of nowhere. Uh, but then again, you know, you, you got to wonder, does this, does this firing come out so quickly if we're not in this little time period where, you know, we're really shining the light on the misbehavior of coaches? I don't know. Uh, I don't know if we can, uh, you know, uh, dwell on those what-ifs, but it's an interesting uh, question to ask. Uh, but yeah, I mean, look, the stars were doing really well, so they turned it around. So it definitely wasn't a performance thing, and so yeah, I, I I don't know what's happening. Looking forward for these sharks. What about you? Uh, for the for the stars, the no, for the stars. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, one thing we should probably make clear is that this is, I believe, it's been reported that this definitely had nothing to do with abuse of any kind uh, towards his players. So it was probably something to do with, uh, I think Elliot Friedman said something to do with, I don't know, a kind of immaturity. I'm not really sure. And uh, we should probably, we can mention the, the new coach of the Stars. I think he has an interim tag, Rick Bonus. Uh, that's Bonus, B-O-W-N-E-S-S, not B-O-N-U-S. Uh, he <laughs> has, <laughs> he has he's, his coaching career in the NHL began... In as a well, his first time as a head coach was 1988, with the old Winnipeg Jets, and he hasn't been Jeez. a head coach in the NHL. He hasn't been a head coach in the NHL since the 2003-04 season with the Phoenix Coyotes. He's 64 years old right now, and it's it's been a while since he's been the the head coach at all. I think he's had several different jobs as an assistant. I think he was with the Lightning for a little while. So. Um, yeah, I'm really curious to see how he does after such a long time off. This was before the the full season lockout. That's a really long time, and the NHL is barely the same sport at all. So I'm not saying he won't succeed. I'm just very curious to see how it turns out. Do you have any, any yeah, thoughts on Yeah, absolutely, those? because uh, the game has changed 180 degrees, basically, uh, since he last coached. Uh, so I wonder, you know, is he has he evolved? Uh, and, or has he, uh, you know, is he still back in the, the grindem days? Uh, so I guess we'll see in his coaching style. We'll see if, uh, you know, the Sharks manage to, to keep up their toward pace. Uh, and I'm looking at his coaching career right now. Uh, his record is pretty terrible. He's got double the number of losses as wins. He's at 123, 289, and 50, 51 as a head coach. Uh, so not a great record, um, but it's been a while. And so we can only watch. Uh, I, I personally, I wouldn't, uh, you know, put a guy who hasn't coached in 16 years uh, behind the bench as a head guy. But then again, uh, you the, the options were limited at this point in the year, right? Well, on such quick notice, right, for the Stars. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I guess we can only watch uh, and see if uh, Rick Bonus has managed to uh, evolve as a head coach. Yeah, well, it's it's not as if he's he dropped off the face of the earth and then showed up out of nowhere 15 years ago. He's been involved in the NHL throughout this entire time. So we, I know we do see some coaches that refuse to evolve, but he's been involved in the game. So so I I see think it's definitely a possibility that he would understand the modern game at a at a pretty good level. 
His uh his first game coaching with the Stars, they lost last night in overtime to the Golden Knights, if you were wondering. And they played Nashville okay. again later today. All right. So uh the book isn't out on uh Rick Bonus just yet. And oh. uh if he succeeds, he'll be uh he can uh see himself in line for a solid bonus. Uh but um Anyways, uh, so I think that's about it for the stars. Uh, we'll just have to see what comes out on Jim Montgomery, uh, and we'll see if uh, maybe we'll we'll, see, we'll get the reason why he was fired. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. moving because on to it's the weird because yeah. because with Montgomery it was you know because they didn't really tell you what happened. You would have thought like oh we'll we'll find out like in ten minutes or an hour or tomorrow, and it's been it's been almost a week and we have no new information. So I'm starting to think maybe we. Might not ever find out until, like, I don't know, if someone writes a book about it in 20 years, if it hasn't happened by now. Yeah, it's a very strange situation. I mean, this kind of thing where you don't know uh, the reason for anything, it usually doesn't last at all. You know what I mean? Uh, even if the, the organization tries to keep it a secret, uh, somebody usually leaks it. Uh, but uh, so far, they, they seem to have an airtight seal on this story. And uh, so, yeah, we can only uh, wait and see if it comes out. If someone writes a story on The Athletic, uh, we'll have to get behind that paywall. Uh, so yeah, I think yeah. we can move on from the stars, uh, and, uh, yeah, move on coach. to the other big firing that I hinted at, uh, in my, in a, in a mental slip up there, uh, the San Jose Sharks. Uh, so they Pete fired the Pete the Boer, uh, after, yeah. So this was uh, really funny how I found out about this. Because okay. usually you find, well, usually like now you find out about stuff like this on Twitter, like, you know, someone like Elliot Freeman or Chris Johnson or Pierre Lebrun will tweet like, Hey, hearing whatever DeBoer might be gone but i was i was watching the canadians game and in the middle of the first period the the broadcasters dave dave randorf i think was like and we and now we cut to jeff merrick in the studio with breaking news and jeff merrick was sitting there with david amber i think and they were like yeah yeah thanks dave pete DeBoer has been has been fired by the san jose sharks and it was like breaking news flashes across the screen and i just it was funny it was very old-fashioned i don't know because I, I haven't, you know, you don't see news come across like that anymore. So I don't know. Kind of enjoyed that. Just thought I'd throw that in. Yeah, a little throwback anyway, uh, to the pre-Twitter age. Uh, anyway, so uh, we've seen the Sharks uh, underperform uh, all year. I mean, they went on a bit of a heater, but they seem to have really cooled down. They've lost six in a row. Uh, so, yep. you know, Pete the Boers out as the head coach. I mean, this is one of the most talented rosters uh, in terms of skaters. Uh, in the NHL, so it's definitely shocking to see them, uh, you know, this far out and uh, struggling so much. Uh, and so, yeah, that, that that's about it. That's uh, so. But the, the main cause, I would say, is uh, the goaltending, which has been, which has continued to be atrocious since last year. Uh, but it's just the, the the forwards and the defense just couldn't keep keep up the scoring uh, to compensate. So, what are your thoughts on this firing? Well, first of all, everyone made sure I uh, to. To make it very clear that this was only hockey related and nothing to do with, you know, the whatever Bill Peters or Jim Montgomery, any sort of alternative situation like that. This is just because the San Jose Sharks have been terrible and they've been he's been replaced by uh, Bob Bugner, who coached the Panthers, who coached the Panthers for a couple of years. And he had been an assistant with the Sharks for a long time before that. Uh, Logan Couture loves him, I remember, because when the Panthers fired him, he said something like, oh, yeah, I'm sure it's Bugner's fault. And then he like he I think him and maybe a few other players directly asked the Sharks to bring him back. And they did. He's been assistant with them. Now he's the head coach. But I do not see this problem 
getting any better for the same reasons you mentioned. Martin Jones, Aaron Dell simply cannot get the job done, and they can no, they're no longer able to score their way out of the those problems. With well, Joe Pavelski's gone. We know how important he was to them. Maybe more, even more important than we even thought, considering their place in the standings right now. Uh, Joe Thornton obviously isn't the player he used to be. Uh, and that right wing on the right wing, that's it's pretty vacant. Uh, they've had players like Lean Bergman and Marcus Sorensen playing bigger roles than they probably should be playing. Radim Simek is far too important to a to the defense than Radim Simek probably should be on a contending team. So, even more than just goaltending, there are a couple holes on this team that are that are concerning. Uh, well, first of all, uh, I don't appreciate you uh, trusting Redeem C-Mex name like that. I mean, uh, they struggled when he's out, and they went on the heater just when he came in. Uh, so uh, I think he might be the key to the puzzle there. Uh, anyways, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, so, uh, look, I think uh, this this team, you, you mentioned the holes in the offense. I don't know. I just think this this team is ex- just the, the forward core, I don't think, is nearly uh, the, the problem at all. I just I want to bring the focus back uh, to the goaltending a bit. And also, so let's look at this uh, the, the little trend in the league. Uh, so the, the the worst the teams with the worst goaltending so far this year. Uh, uh, I don't remember the the numbers or the, t- the the teams exactly off the top of my head, but basically what it was was the the top two te- the bottom two teams. There no, sorry, the bottom four teams uh, in terms of goaltending. Two of them are outright outright tanking, and uh, two of them uh, have had their coaches fired this season. It's the Sharks and the Devils. Uh, they both have atrocious goaltending, and it's led to uh, you know two firings. So my question to you is, uh, which which comes first in a sort of chicken and the egg problem? Is it the coach uh, and the system, or is it just bad goaltending that's getting these coaches fired, or maybe these coaches don't deserve to be fired? Well, okay, these teams and the general managers for the the Sharks and the Devils, I guess specifically, they know that their goalies aren't good, and they know that they won't be winning if the golden doesn't improve somehow and they've been trying i assume to to acquire better goalies and because other teams know how desperate they are the prices are probably just way too high and if you can't do anything about the goaltending then firing the coach is probably the last resort just to show hey we know we know we're underachieving here's something we're going to try to do to fix it and so in terms of if the problem is actually going to get solved, I would say that's pretty unlikely. Every now and then you'll see a goalie randomly turn it around under a new coach. We saw that with, with uh, Bobrovsky a few years ago when he had a terrible start to the year and Tortorella came in and all of a sudden he was a 925 or whatever it was. But I don't see that happening with Martin Jones or Aaron Dell because they've just been that bad for a year and a half. And I also don't see it happening with Mackenzie Blackwood in New Jersey. Uh did that answer your uh, your question? Yeah, yeah. And uh, for both of these teams, I placed uh, the blame on the general manager, uh, whether it be uh, Doug Wilson or Ray Shiro. Uh, look, you came into the season knowing that you had a goalie problem. The time to solve it was is not during the season; it's uh, it's during the off season. And the fact that both of these teams came in with the goaltending that they have, and both claim to be contenders, uh, wanting to make the playoffs, uh, you, they were just fooling themselves. Uh, and so I think. Uh, Look, I think both of these John Hines uh, and uh, Peter Bauer, both kind of uh, unfortunate victims of their management going and their goaltending situation coming into the season. Because honestly, uh, what more could they have done? 
Yeah, I'm willing to give uh, Doug Wilson with the Sharks a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt than I am for the Devils. With the Devils, you kn- you you knew Corey Schneider wasn't really any good anymore. He hasn't been good for a while. And you know Mackenzie Blackwood's only, what, 21, 22 years old? And they acquire all these new pieces, exciting pieces. You should be you should have you should be able to find a, a a better goalie than that. With the Sharks, Martin Jones is locked up until 2024 at 5.75 million dollars, which is basically unmovable. And on the other hand, he's also taking them to a Stanley Cup final in recent memory. And they got to round three last year with him in the playoffs. He showed he showed flashes that he was still a decent goalie. So I can I can I have time for for that where they have so little cap space to take their bets with Martin Jones. Maybe he can manage to turn it around somehow. Obviously it hasn't worked out and it looks bad in hindsight. But at the time, going into the season with Martin Jones as your starting goalie didn't seem like such a such a terrible disaster. Yeah, I I don't know. I just think uh they just they going all in on Martin Jones, and and, and I look at Aaron Dell too. They didn't try to get any sort of competent backup. He was atrocious last year. He's still atrocious, and uh, so yeah. I mean, you mentioned their cap situation. They are very locked up uh, in terms of that. I mean, they. I don't know if they could have even signed that backup goalie. Uh, so yeah, it's just uh, it's just unfortunate. And I think honestly, like, what can you do for the Sharks right now? Uh, you, I mentioned the cap situation. Uh, you can't really trade for anybody, and uh, so yeah, I guess the the. The, the last resort, as you mentioned, I think we've got they've gotten to that point. And uh, just firing the bar, I guess, uh, just kind of shot in the dark, see if it motivates the team. It's really uh, sad so, yeah. that it, uh, it's really sad it looks mm-hmm. like the Sharks window is probably closed now because they've probably been, them and maybe next to Washington too, have been probably the most consistently good team in the entire NHL for 10 to 15 years. And they, they made the finals once. They made the third round many times, and they never got a cup out of it. And it looks like, at this point, Joe Thornton, Patrick Marlowe are probably going to be retiring without one. Which uh, you hate to see. You hate to see it. You know. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I mean, uh, you look at last year. Uh, if they have competent goaltending, I know Martin Jones showed flashes, but in the end, I think he was the reason why they got bounced uh, by who was it last year? Was it St. Louis? It was St. Louis. Louis. I think. Yeah. I think they get past St. Louis uh, if they if they have like you know a uh, solid goaltending. So look, yeah, I don't know what else to say. Uh, the Sharks, uh, unless Radim Simek can save their season when he comes <laughs> back, uh, I yes, don't I don't course. see a turnaround in the near future. Uh, and so yes. I think that uh, I think that's all we have to say for the Sharks. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, uh, right, so, so we all right. So we we mentioned the Devils just now and how bad they were. Uh, and so they've uh, continued their losing ways. I think they've lost seven in a row coming into today. Uh, and so the we mentioned Taylor Hall, Colorado. Maybe they wanted to get it before Christmas break. Uh, and we've seen, uh, you know, the trade stove uh, heating up a bit there. Oh, yeah. uh, and so we, we've seen a, a number of teams uh, throw their hat in the ring in the rumors uh, in the race for Taylor Hall. Uh, so we have, uh, so far we've seen uh, Florida and Arizona have been the big names to go with Colorado. We've also heard some rumblings from St. Louis. Yeah, those are the big uh, so four. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, what are your uh, thoughts? Yeah, so so last night leading into the game, I don't remember who, I think it was Friedman who said, Devils will be holding Taylor Hall out of the game tonight for precautionary reasons. And all, all everyone's you know, starts freaking out. Oh, he's going to get traded in a minute, five minutes, a few hours, tonight, tomorrow. Uh, and obviously it didn't happen last night. 
it's probably, I would say, going to happen within the next couple days. Chris Johnson said said uh, he'd be surprised if Taylor Hall remained with the Devils into next week. Negotiations reached a, a different level of urgency tonight. That was last night. That was a few minutes before midnight he tweeted that. So maybe even later today he'll be on the move. Uh, Colorado is still looking like a possibility. Arizona is a really interesting one for me because there isn't so much in the prospect pool besides like besides Barrett Hayden. I, I can't remember who their first rounder was this year. Oh, uh, Soderstrom, Victor Soderstrom, the Swedish defenseman. So they've got a couple good ones. I think a trade would mostly revolve around draft picks if it were the Coyotes. And I think Taylor Hall, honestly, I think he would be a fantastic fit. I think he could maybe get Phil Kessel going. They're two very, very similar kinds of players. That'd be fun to see play on the same line. And I think that mm-hmm. would uh, probably turn the Coyotes into favorites to win the Pacific Division. Yeah, I mean, if they wanted something to push them over the edge, uh, Taylor Hall is definitely probably the guy there, uh, number one on the trade market. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, Arizona... They've really turned it around this year. We've mentioned, uh, I think they're like first or second in their division right now, out of nowhere, if you ask me. Uh, And so, yeah, this could be a move for them. Uh, I'm looking at Florida. Look, I think uh, Bobrovsky might have turned a corner there. He's had three straight great outings. Uh, This guy is a workhorse. And uh, I I think he might have turned around. Good for my fantasy team. Let's go, let's go. Uh, (laughs) But, uh, yeah, any of these teams, any of these teams really – uh, St. Louis, Colorado, Arizona, Florida could really push them over the edge. I mean, Florida competing in the Atlantic. That's uh, you know right now a, a deadlock tie with Boston losing five in a row. Uh, they're still they still have a sizable lead, but you know you never know with that kind of thing. And uh, so yeah, Florida if they get Taylor Hall, mm-hmm. I can see them making a very deep playoff push there. Uh, obviously, Colorado they become unstoppable if they get Taylor yeah. Hall. And St. Louis they're the defending Stanley Cup champions. Uh, how can you discount them with uh, the addition of Taylor Hall? Uh, so I think all these teams, it makes sense. And uh, I'm just, I, I agree with you on the, the, the next couple of days front in terms of Taylor Hall. I mean, look, you don't, you don't bench a guy of this caliber if you ex- at this point in the season, if you expect to trade him at the trade deadline in a couple months, right? Uh, so yeah, I think mm-hmm. uh, definitely on the horizon here. And uh, look, I, I think uh, we can consider an emergency podcast episode uh, as soon as that happens, no? Yeah, yeah, I think, I think so. So if it happens... Uh, tomorrow I will probably be unavailable, but if it happens tomorrow, then possibly some point on Monday we'll we'll record a, a short show breaking it down, discussing it uh, whenever it happens this week. Uh, I want to go a little bit more in depth on possibility if he goes to the Blues. There's one thing that really sticks out to me uh, about a key piece in a possible return because the Blues are really tight against the cap. So you're going to have to send back, maybe even with a little retained salary on a haul, you're going to have to send back a, a roster player that's making a fair amount of money the other way to balance things out. And I think it makes a ton of sense for the Blues to give up Jake Allen as part of the return for Taylor Hall, obviously with whatever young players, prospects, draft picks are involved. Jake Allen would, I think, immediately become the Devils' number one goalie. He signed for this year and next. He is 29 years old right now, so not an ideal age for the Devils who are meant to be contending within, I don't know, two to three years from now. But, well, I thought their window opened today, but uh, or this year. Uh, well, I you would have thought so. Yeah, the- but uh, yeah, I, I agree with you on this. Uh, it's, a, it's a very interesting idea, Jake Allen. How has he been doing this year? Uh, Jake Allen has been playing, he's been, well, he's been the backup to Bennington. 
I believe he's been fantastic in that role. I'm going to look at the, the numbers right now. Yeah, he's played only 10 games, but he's a 925 save percentage and a 234 goals against average. So those are very good numbers for Jake Allen. And he's been a starter before. So if he could manage to – but the problem with him was was consistency over the length of a, of an entire season. And at this point, I'm not sure if he's going to work that out or maybe he is better suited to being a backup or maybe being a tandem goalie with Mackenzie Blackwood. I think that could work out nicely for the Devils. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it'd be real funny uh, if they made a, a somehow made a playoff push uh, after they trade Taylor Hall. Uh, I think that made me laugh pretty. That would make me laugh pretty hard. Uh, I do not so, see that happening. Uh, I know, but you know, you could always imagine. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, anything else you want to say on this front? Uh, one funny thing I saw: it was a Yepo on Twitter said uh, Taylor Hall is going to be traded. We're only a few days away from figuring out who's going to win the 2020 draft lottery. Hey, I thought that was pretty yo. funny. Yeah, That's Taylor pretty Hall, good. Draft lottery king. Not right. Absolute stud. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm very excited to see uh, where that ends up. It's not that often you get a big trade like this happen in December. You know? No, but there was the, no, you don't. the Duchesne, there was the Duchesne three-way trade in November a few years ago. Besides that, at this time of year, is usually pretty quiet in terms of big trades. We saw Chandler Stevenson about a week ago to Vegas. Who's been, he's been lighting it up. But, uh, you know, obviously, Taylor Hall is on a different level. Yeah, you don't. You really don't see these uh, blockbusters, see, uh, these blockbuster trades uh, near Christmas time. And uh, hey, maybe we'll see a Christmas Day trade. Uh, you can always see, but uh, that's that's a no, while from now. Anyways, no, it's a, yeah. that's, that's the roster freeze. They have the roster freeze over oh. Christmas. Right, right, right. Anyways, yeah. yeah. Remember, remember a few years ago, a few years ago, just like a few hours before the roster freeze, Montreal was very close to acquiring Wayne Simmons from the Flyers for Nathan Beaulieu and Sven Andrigetto. Remember that? No, I don't. I think that was 2016, and the Canadians were on a losing streak, and they were. It was reported like, yeah, this is this is going to happen. Montreal uh, was Wayne Simmons to Montreal for Sven Andrigetto and Nathan Beaulieu, but I think it was the Flyers at the last second who said, ah, never mind, we'll we'll hold on to Wayne. So I was I was disappointed about that, but that was right before Some the point. 2016 roster what? freeze, I think, or 2015. I don't know, sometime around. Would have been a good trade. Would have been All a right. good trade. Yes. Uh, so uh, we could change gears a little bit uh, to another big, uh, yeah, big bit of uh, bad news uh, for hockey. And uh, you know, we've talked a lot about mm-hmm. hockey culture the last uh, while, and uh, this this yeah. certainly does not a good look uh, whatsoever. And uh, so, what I'm talking about is uh, Kimalu. Uh, mm-hmm. Who was it that reported the story? You want you want to give a little summary? I I actually I don't know who reported it first. Do you? I'm not sure. Uh, oh, I, I, I think it might have been uh, the Wall Street Journal. Uh, anyways, I, I'm not too sure who it was. But anyways, a picture, a story came out here. Uh, I think it was with the uh, Colorado Eagles when yep. Akimalu was part of that team. Uh, so there was a Halloween party. And basically what happened was they told Akeem uh, to show up late. And uh, this was a team Halloween, uh, team Halloween party. And basically the bunch of them got together and they uh, – you know, they got uh, one of the members, I think he was part of the staff, uh, and they dressed him up as a, as, as a Kimalu, uh, and they, they put him in blackface. And then, uh, you know, and then, and then he show, Alou showed up to the, to the party, and, you know, they had, him, uh, they had him take pictures together, whatnot, whatnot. And you look at the pictures, uh, and he just looks like he wants to be anywhere else but there. 
uh, and Akeem. so yeah, it's it's a pretty it's a yeah he does yeah Akeem. and uh, yeah it's it's a it's a pretty horrifying story. Uh, your your thoughts? Yeah, so this was this was 2011. This was in the the Eagles were an ECHL team at the time, and obviously you know wearing blackface is a really big deal, and obviously it's a bad thing to do in any situation, but this is on a higher degree than the stories we normally hear. Stories like like Tyler Bozak using it. He was dressing up as Michael Jackson for Halloween. Blackface, not a good idea, but obviously something like that. I don't think it's even close to as bad as something like this. Himalu, I think he was a rookie with the Eagles at the time. He was new to the team. He was the only black player on the team. And doing something like this, setting him up to show up late, how did nobody else on the team think for a second, hey, maybe this is actually a really terrible thing to do. Maybe we shouldn't do this. They all just kind of went along with, oh, it'll be so funny. And it's really, imagine, because it's, it's really hard to talk about stuff like this because you think Akeem Alou knows he's thinking about that all the time. He's uncomfortable all the time. We can tell stories like this, stories like the Steve Downey thing, the Bill Peters thing that we talked about a, a few shows ago. And then the teammates just reminding you, yeah, you're not like us. You're different. You're not what we picture when we picture a hockey player. It's it's terrible. And the, the worst thing about it is that because we're only finding out about this eight years later, how much more of this has happened to to other players who aren't white, besides just Akeem Alou, who's brave enough to come forward about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the stuff that this guy has gone through uh, through hockey, uh, through his hockey life is absolutely heinous. And, uh, you know, we see it happen uh, basically every step of the way. I mean, look, he, he saw it in the ECHL. He saw it in the, in the, in the juniors. And, uh, you know, he, I think, was, was it Bill Peters? He was, on the, he was in the NHL already at that point? I'm not sure. No, that was, that was but, the uh, AHL, I think. Okay, the AHL. Well, well, there we go. He he's basically seen this racism all through his entire life. Uh, mm-hmm. You absolutely feel terrible for the guy. But uh, look, this is only one. As you mentioned, this is only one guy uh, who's come out and talked about this kind of issue. And you can't you can't think that the you know the whole hockey world or or the well not the whole hockey world, but just the 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 the, the, the situations that have surrounded him uh, have picked on Akimalu because they hate only Akimalu. You have to think, you know. This is a racism problem that we see, uh, you know, that is pervasive throughout uh, the, these organizations and, and and honestly, hockey culture here. Because look, I, this is only one one black person, and you got you have to you have to think this this can't be an isolated incident for uh, visible minorities in, in 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 this whole sport. It's mm-hmm. absolutely terrible. It's a terrible look for the league. And uh, look, going forward, and uh, we we saw what was it? No, it was sorry, it was with the different issue. I was. I was gonna talk. I was gonna mention uh, Gary Bettman's policy, but that's on abuse. Uh, but yeah, just to, going back to this racism for a little bit here. Uh, look, I I don't even know what to say. Uh, like, look, this is absolutely awful. Um, just not, not just like you know as a sports fan or anything. Just as a as a on a personal level, this is probably one of the worst stories I've ever heard. Uh, you mentioned that this is not just where you know. Blackface is a costume, which is terrible, but you know uh, a lot of that we see is just ignorance, right? Uh, mm-hmm. With this, this isn't just ignorance. This is you know blatantly acknowledging uh, the fact that you're different, you're another, and, and we're gonna mock you for it, and we're gonna mock the color of your skin. Uh, so yeah, I mean it's just I I have no idea. 
Like this was not how like this is not just one person. I mean, this was whole team. this was I mentioned this was a team party, and nobody stood up and said, "Guys, this is an absolute horrible idea." Uh, and uh, I mean, I think I think uh, this speaks to a lot of uh, not 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 entirely, but a lot of the attitude that we see in hockey culture. I mean, not not just active participants, but a lot of you know bystanders who won't speak up. And uh, yeah, it's just a problem. I don't know what mm. else to say. A few weeks ago, we had a uh, an episode that went really in depth on problems like this, problems with hockey culture. I think it's fair to say all of that still applies to this situation. Uh, in that episode, I think we also we criticized Gary Bettman for not mentioning anything about the the Bill Peters situation, the Mike Babcock stuff, and uh, that changed. I think it was four days ago. He he came forward with Bill Daly, and they've got a couple new policies in place, or at least vague outlines of plans that I, I want to uh to bring forward we can talk about them a little bit ready yeah so all right so one thing he announced was that uh the quote vaguely was like uh nhl clubs should be should be on notice that if they become aware of incidents which cross the line and don't don't inform either him or bill daly that they should be prepared to face severe discipline so I think it's personally. I think a lot, some people were upset that they didn't specify what discipline they were talking about. That didn't really bother me because this is the kind of thing that has to kind of be on a case by case basis, you know. Because obviously there are different levels of abuse and lots of different kinds. Some of them would just are, might just be worthy of a suspension. Some of them, like what Bill Peters did, are fireable offenses. So that that particular statement doesn't bother me at all. How about you? Yeah, no, uh, I think you're absolutely right on that point. I was going to say exactly the same thing. Uh, this is this is kind of thing where you definitely have to go case by case, uh, and the people that want you know strict guidelines uh, and sh- and, and uh, you know define clearly defined penalties. I, I don't think that's a great idea. Uh, you mentioned those examples. I think you're absolutely spot on. Uh, so yeah, I think uh, th- this case by case way is probably the best thing. Uh, but looking uh, at this policy as a whole. Uh, I, I, I'm not too sure what to think about it, but the first general impression that I get is uh, this is, uh, you know, a lot of lawyerly stuff from the NHL, which we see a lot from the league. But uh, I, I think this is just a primarily a way for the league to, know, cover its ass on this kind of issue uh, because they, they emphasized a lot, you know, uh, no surprises. Uh, and Gary Bettman emphasized that uh, to, in, in the media and also to the teams privately. Uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, this just seems to be the league, you know, they really don't want to see any more nasty surprises like this, the Peters and uh, like the Babcock story. Uh, so yeah, any, any other thoughts? Um, not on that one specifically. There are a couple other things Bettman said that, uh, that I'm a little more skeptical of or things that can be criticized. And the first one is, uh, if they've created a hotline in which inappropriate conduct can be reported anonymously for players, teammates, or NHL team personnel. And he says he can guarantee that they will be taken seriously. Do you have any any thoughts about this this hotline? It's very similar to what the, the NHLPA said a few years ago, that complaints should go through them instead of onto social media. I think it's pretty similar. Yeah, uh, I'm very skeptical on this uh, this whole hotline on a number of levels. Uh, first of all, look, I don't know how much we can trust the NHL uh, to do the, you know, to, to proactively whatever take these things seriously. I, I think uh, over the past they haven't shown 
uh, any evidence that they would do such a thing. And also, on they mentioned that it's an anonymous uh, tip line. Yes. Uh, I'm not too sure about that. I mean, like uh, you can you can make it as anonymous as you want on the front, but uh, I mean, look, uh, how anonymous can this get? Uh, oh, hello, uh, NHL. Uh, my coach kicked me. Well, uh, if it comes out that uh, the, the coach kicked a player, well, the coach, uh, if the coach has only kicked one player, well, uh, it's not exactly anonymous anymore, is it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, you know, it, it, what you'd like to see is, you know, not, not just anonymity, which obviously in this scenario can't be guaranteed, uh, but you'd like to see a more clearly defined protection for these players that have been abused. Uh, and so that when they do speak out, they don't see any sort of retribution from uh, the coach or the organization uh, in any what way, whether it be you know being blackballed in a contract negotiation, reduced ice time, uh, whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. Even though it's even though this is anonymous on the surface, imagine how hard it must be for for a player. Say they are experiencing some kind of abuse at the hands of their coach. You have to you have to think to yourself: Is it is it worth it for me to to notify the NHL and use this hotline? Because if I do that, then the NHL is gonna notify my coach i think that'd be how it works and start an investigation and my coach is going to know that someone on the team ratted him out and then that just probably ruins the entire dynamic of the locker room and could theoretically or send a send a team onto i don't know some losing streak could get the coach fired but if it doesn't if it takes a while to get the coach fired to make change happens then then uh and who knows how long you'll be in that toxic locker room or if your teammates might start turning on you if they like the coach, if they're friendly with the coach. It's, so there's a lot to think about from these, these players' point of view. Would it even be worth it you know, to, uh, to use this hotline if I'm not even sure I'm going to have support from my teammates or even from the NHL? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned uh, uh, you know, the creation of a toxic environment. I don't think that's the... The, the primary concern, I mean, uh, I think uh, when it comes to this kind of issue, uh, whether the team might go on a losing streak uh, isn't the first priority. I think uh, we have to, this just goes back to addressing, you know, the problematic coach-player uh, dynamic that we have in these locker rooms that, in yep. essence, are already toxic no matter what situation you're in. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I mean, look, the, these coaches, uh, especially at the, the lower level, yeah, that would be the kind of thing that would probably be on the the forefront of a player's mind. It's not a. It doesn't take precedence to to any kind of abuse that would be happening in a locker room. But these are the things that a player would be thinking about. Yeah. Right. Uh, so yeah, I mean, just uh, yeah, this this dynamic is very problematic. We see it throughout the ranks of the sport, uh, especially when it gets to the higher levels. Uh, when it's just like uh, you know, this guy's got my career in my hands. And uh, if I speak out and he finds out, I'm screwed. I'm never going to make it. And especially you got to think about it in the, in, the, in the sort of context where these kids have spent their entire lives uh, playing hockey and they've dedicated their lives to it. And if they, get, if, they, if they get nowhere, if their progress gets stopped because it's just they happen to speak out against an abusive coach, they've got nowhere to turn to. And so, you know, taking that into consideration, maybe they don't speak out. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, that's where... Uh, I think abuse uh, protection uh, for these players uh, comes in extremely handy. That's why you see most of these stories only come out from players that are already retired. Like, um, I I don't know if Alou's retired. He's not playing in the NHL anymore, definitely. 
Mike Commodore, same kind of thing we saw after he retired. He, the uh, Babcock roasting seems never endless. You, I couldn't uh, imagine an active player doing something like that, even to just a coach of an opposing team. No, I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, so it's just it's just that that coach player dynamic uh, that that problem we just see it magnified uh, in, in the scenarios where it's just retired players that are talking. And uh, when these active players are asked about it, they don't really say much. Uh, they don't want to, you know, they don't want to put themselves in any sort of, uh, you know, risk of being labeled uh, as a problem or uh, can't be coached. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I think uh, that about wraps it up, unless you've got any final thoughts on this subject. Yeah. Last thing on Batman. Uh, he announced new mandatory annual training program will be required for all head coaches, assistant coaches, minor league coaches, GMs, and assistant GMs on diversity and inclusion. Now, this this is a good idea on the surface if they execute on it correctly. If the if all these employees have the proper attitude about it, then I think it could be a major success. If they just have to, you know, take a, an online quiz for an hour over the summer, then I think this is nothing more than a, a publicity stunt for the NHL to try to show that they're doing something to educate their employees. And another thing I don't really like about it is that it's just once a year. Yeah, I think then it's, oh, it's, oh, this is just something that we have to, to do every year, something we have to, I don't know, speech that we have to sit through. I think the best way to do this is to have it happen consistently like more often something i don't know if it's it's not like listen to a speech every week but teams should probably be employing people that focus on things like diversity and inclusion in the locker room in the fan base too in publicity things like that that are working on it all the time constantly so that actual change can happen that was my thought when reading that yeah, you got the you got to get these players engaged, uh, and and you and in order to do that, you got to make the program engaging. Uh, and so you you it can't just be you know like oh I have my uh, my exit interviews today and also my my uh, my abuse, uh, what is it learning diversity and inclusion uh, yeah diversity and inclusion training. Uh, it can't just be like that. It has to be constant, and these players have to get it drilled in their minds that this is something ther- serious uh, and that they need to be aware of uh constantly because it, it is an important part and if we want to grow the game uh this is definitely we have to, something we have to take into consideration mm-hmm. uh and so yeah those are my thoughts on the on the issue all right so uh i uh we'll see we'll see on batman we'll see how all that stuff turns out i think that uh i can wrap it up on that for now now uh we will be discussing world juniors last thing sure yep. all right so we talked about the World Juniors a little bit last week. Canada had released their preliminary rosters. We went over that. And now Canada basically has – they've made their final cuts. They made uh, nine cuts late on Thursday night. And I'm going to go over them a little bit now. So we can start with the, the goalies, I guess. They cut Hunter Jones, the Minnesota Wild prospect. Um, so it's looking – very much. I think it's actually confirmed 100%. They're taking three goalies to this tournament in the Czech Republic. 
it's smart, especially because the tournament is overseas to take three goalies in case, you know, two of them happen to get injured and the, and you don't want to have to have a, to fly a goalie out for the game, shows up 20 minutes early, whatever, whatever. So the three goalies are uh, Olivier Rodrigue, Oilers prospect, playing in the QMJHL, um, Nico Dawes, who's really come out of nowhere and with the, I don't remember which team he's playing for, in the OHL, he's had fantastic numbers. And the last one is um, Joel Hoffer, the Blues prospect. Uh, going into the season, Olivier Rodrigue was probably uh, the front runner to be number one. But from what I'm hearing people say is that Nico Dawes actually might be the favorite now. He was undrafted in his past draft. He's almost definitely going to go uh, somewhere in 2020 in the NHL draft. And right now, he's the hot hand for, for Team Canada. And he's probably got the highest ceiling at this point. Um, tons of other teams in this tournament have a fantastic goalie. We mentioned Spencer Knight last week. Yaroslav Askarov with Team Russia might be a top 10 pick this upcoming draft. Uh, Justus Anunen has been fantastic in the Finnish league. And he'll be Team Finland starter. Hugo Alnefelt on Team Sweden. So... All these teams have go-to guys in that. Lucas Dostal also on the Czech Republic. So I think that Nico Dawes, even though he isn't like a, he isn't hasn't been drafted yet, I think he's probably the best bet for Team Canada to match up, or at least uh, comparatively to some of these other goalies. I don't know if you have any thoughts about uh, about the goaltending. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, you mentioned this guy has the highest ceiling. I think with this kind of tournament, you know, single format where you have the round robin, but then you have, uh, you know, your single elimination games. Uh, I think you just you you like you see a lot of these games uh, in the in the playoff rounds where uh, a goalie gets hot and you see a team, you know, steal a game maybe that they shouldn't win. Uh, and so I think when it comes to that, I mean, yeah, you you pick the guy with the highest ceiling. Uh, you know, the the most potential. When it comes to when you're facing maybe like a, a U.S. or a Russia in the playoffs and you've got these elite goaltending prospects, uh, when it comes to that, I think you got to look at a guy who can, you know, potentially on any given day go toe-to-toe with these guys and, uh, you know, come out come out of the game with a dub. Uh, and, yeah, so uh, that, that's my take mm-hmm. on the goaltending situation. Yeah, all right. So they've got seven defensemen on their team, which is the standard amount they always take. I don't know if it's been confirmed yet for sure that Noah Dobson won't be released by the Islanders, but it's looking like a real long shot at this point, especially considering I think Nick Ledy's just been injured, so Dobson's now actually getting into games with the Isles and getting significant minutes. So the seven defensemen are uh, Ty Smith, Jared McIsaac, the two returning members, Bowen Byram, Jamie Drysdale, the 17-year-old, Jacob Bernard-Docker, Kalen Addison, and... Kevin Ball. So Addison and Ball were the two that I wasn't sure were going to make the team, but Kalen Addison has been apparently great so far in the the WHL. He's like an offensive defenseman type. He's pretty small. Uh, He was a second rounder of the Penguins, but uh, I think he'll he'll probably be one of more like a power play kind of guy, maybe sort of what Noah Dobson is, but not quite as good. And Kevin Ball is kind of the opposite of that. He's six foot seven, Arizona Coyotes draft pick, uh, big uh, shutdown guy, and he's also got some good offensive elements to his game. The uh, the most surprising cut on defense 
was Thomas Harley, who was a Dallas first rounder. But um, looking at this list of seven defensemen, uh, I'm not that upset by that one, personally. Uh, there are some forwards cuts that I really don't agree with that I'll get to in a minute, but I don't know if you have any any thoughts about these seven defensemen. Uh, not in particular. I think uh, this this could be a very solid core uh, if they manage to gel properly. And, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I was also surprised. I thought Thomas Harley would make the team. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously not having Noah Dobson, an NHL player like him, uh, it stings a bit. Uh, and, and we'll get into how uh, uh, another prospect, you know, Kirby Doc, he didn't, it was formally announced that he didn't, uh, he, he's not going to be released from Chicago. Yeah. Uh, and so you'd like to see both of these guys, you know, be released from these teams. But I guess, you know, in just these circumstances when they're so good, uh, the, the team just can't afford to release them. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, this defense is looking pretty solid and uh, it could be a solid, you know, an above average deep core, if you ask me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely for this, for this tournament. One thing with, uh, I wanted to. I mentioned Jamie Drysdale specifically last week. He's the youngest uh, defenseman on this team. He's a 2002 birthday. Um, I'm expecting. I'm expecting that he's got probably going to be the number seven guy on this team, much like Kale McCarr was a few years ago. He might be getting some power play time, but he probably won't be playing that much. Uh, but I, I kind of hope that isn't the case. I really hope. They, they, because they have a tendency when they have, especially these double underagers, these seventeen-year-olds of this tournament, not to play them so much. And I, I really hope that uh, they kind of play him, you know, a pretty fair amount, and not just a few, whatever, six minutes or whatever it is. So I don't know if you have anything else to say about that, or we can move on to the the forwards. Uh, just uh, one thing, you know, just a quick comment. Yeah, you'd like to see uh. You know, the talent match the ice time uh, and not the age. Uh, and we see that as a, mm-hmm. a bit of a problem in the NHL as well. And uh, it certainly reflects in this tournament where you see uh, a lot of re- a lot of priority going to the to the to the returning players. Rightfully so, but uh, maybe too much. Yes, yes. I actually I was kind of just about to get into that with the uh, the forwards. So there, they actually the team Canada still does have one more cut to make up forward. They have 14 forwards on the team right now, and I'm pretty sure the reason they're waiting it out is because Aiden Dudas is hurt right now. I'm not exactly sure with what, but they're unsure whether or not he's going to be ready for the tournament. If he is, then they'll cut somebody else. If he's not ready, well, then Aiden Dudas is the final cut, and they're down to 13 forwards. Um, so one thing I wanted to point out was it's kind of frustrating. Team Can Team Canada at these these tournaments has a a tendency to favor CHL players over NCAA players or anyone playing their hockey in the in the US, which, you know, you would expect for there to be some sort of bias, especially when it's like the same people that run these junior teams and these junior leagues that are running hockey Canada. But <clears throat> I think Alex Newhook was one of the best forwards for Canada preliminary at the preliminary camp, and he was cut. He was the most surprising cut by far for a lot of these people, and he's playing, I don't remember where, it's somewhere in the U.S. He's not playing in the CHL. And Dylan Holloway also, who's playing at Wisconsin, is a draft-eligible player, 
Um, he was he he didn't make the team either. So I don't know if you have any anything to say about maybe if there's some sort of bias there that that we know of. Uh, I think uh, you're, you're. I think there is a bias uh, for a number of reasons. I mean, first of all, uh, the the tape for these uh, CHL uh, these CHL players is a lot easier to access. Uh, one because there's just so much more coverage for the CHL compared to the NCAA, and also because you know, as you mentioned, the selection committee, a lot of them do come from CHL backgrounds, uh, and so th- that that last bit, the, the CHL, you know, the the the, the selection people. Uh, they they probably do tend to, to favor their players. Uh, let's not yeah. kid ourselves. There is definitely a human element uh, to this selection. Uh, and uh, so yeah, I mean it's unfortunate. You'd like to see you you, you don't like to see you know guys who go to the NCAA uh, and get it. You know they don't the other the CHL players get a leg up. And uh, so yeah, it's unfortunate. I mean, yeah, uh, I I personally uh, am not a huge fan of the CHL. I don't think they offer uh, uh, anything in particular over the NCAA. And so I certainly don't blame these players that go over to the U.S. Uh, and get their college education, uh, something that the CHL does not offer. Uh, so, yeah, that's the extent mm-hmm. of my thoughts on this. It's also probably it's probably also worthy of mentioning that the bias also exists on the other side of it. Uh, Team USA is is known to favor NCAA players over American junior players, probably even more heavily than, uh, than Team Canada does. The one that sticks out to me, the 2017 Team USA, uh, very notably cut Alex Dubrinkit, uh, who was, I think, uh, 19 years old at the time, and having a fantastic year in the OHL, on pace for 50 goals. And they cut him, and that's probably that was probably the most surprising cut for any World Junior team that I can remember was uh, Alex DeBrinket not making Team USA that year. They did end up winning the gold medal uh, with uh, two shootout wins in the semifinals and finals, but I think it's fair to say that it was not because Alex DeBrinket wasn't there. Yeah, I mean, I I mentioned earlier, it's just easier for these people uh, to see people in their own country, right? To see mm-hmm. players in their own country. It's just easier. You just see them night in, night out. If you're part of an organization, uh, I mean, you see these people playing against your team. You see these players playing against your team. Uh, so if you're, you know, the head of a CHL team, uh, you basically, you're already scouting these players ahead of time uh, for your world junior team uh, when, when, I don't know, their team comes in and plays against your team. Uh, so I think it's just a matter of accessibility, uh, and in terms of you know scouting, you're already scouting these uh, players when it comes to a, when they are opponents to your CHL team, uh, and so you already you just get a better idea of how good the, good these players are. And I'm sure that you know when it comes to U.S. players in Canada, and, and likewise for Canada players in the U.S., uh, the head guys they probably rely on you know word of mouth. And they're scouts and not not so much, you know, first-hand experience because they just don't watch uh, the other leagues that they're not part of. Uh, and mm-hmm. so I think that's a lot. That's where a lot of the bias stems from. And you see it from both sides, obviously, as you mentioned. Uh, and so that's just what leads me to believe uh, that that's probably the cause. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to go through the other forwards that, uh, that made Team Canada. So besides Aiden Dudas, the 13 are Liam Foody, uh, Joe Valeno, Raphael Lavoie, Alexis Lafreniere, Benoit Olivier Gru, Akil Thomas, Connor McMichael, Ty Delandria, Quinton Byfield, Dawson Mercer, Dylan Cousins, Barrett Hayton, who was released by the Coyotes, and Nolan Foote. So those are the 13. 
Um, the the name that sticks out to me as the biggest surprise is Dawson Mercer. He's uh, I believe he's a right winger, might be a center. He shoots right. He's a uh, October two thousand one birthday, so he's twenty twenty draft eligible. Um, Byfield and Lafreniere are the other two twenty twenty draft eligible forwards that made the team. Um, neither one of those two were surprised. Dawson Mercer. I was surprised to see not only because he made it ahead of Newhook and he made it ahead of Peyton Krebs, but there are other 2020 players, uh, especially Cole Perfetti, who I thought had a leg up on on Dawson Mercer. Uh, any other names that you want to mention on that list? Uh, not in particular, no, other than, you know, uh, it's nice to see uh, Barrett Hayton. Uh, I'll be definitely cheering that guy on. Uh, nice to see him getting released from the Coyotes. Uh, big name there. So, uh, yeah, I think that's about it for my, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, there's another there's another uh, bias that most teams in the, the World Juniors app usually have, especially uh, Team Russia is known for this, but to favor players who are in their last year of eligibility. So this year, that's players born in 2000. Eight out of those 13 forwards, I believe, are born in 2000. And the consensus from the people that I were that I was talking about was that if Team Canada weren't so hesitant to load up on 18-year-olds, and even especially this year, 17-year-olds, considering how strong that class is with uh, Byfield and Drysdale, who made the team, but also Cole Perfetti, Connor Zari, I don't know if uh, Dylan Holloway was a 2001, but anyway, these 2020 draft eligibles, that they could possibly build a powerhouse. I think Newhook is 18. I think Krebs is 18. So you can you can really see that the uh, that they favor older players just because they're older and not necessarily because they're better. And for me, that kind of that kind of rubs me the wrong way, that bias. And I think it's not necessarily the the way to go either. I would much prefer taking the the raw skill of a 17-year-old over the extra year or two of junior experience for someone else. Yeah, I mean, I I mentioned it earlier, you know, you like to see the talent reflected in the ice time. Uh, That's just one thing. But also, I think this approach is very nearsighted Uh, when it comes to, you know, long-term vision. You want to win. You want to, you know, build up Team Canada a bit because we've seen, uh, you know, some disappointing results recently. You mentioned you want to build a powerhouse. So why not get... You know, drill some uh, world junior experience into some of these kids who are younger, uh, and and that's I think how you really build uh, a dominant team. And I think it's especially when you have such a strong draft class as you mentioned. Uh, I think it's unfortunate that this bias exists. Uh, I, I don't think it's right. Uh, I mean, look, ice time should should be reflective of talent, and I keep saying it because uh, I truly believe in it. Uh, and so, yeah, that's just, uh, it's just, I, I'm not a fan of this bias and, uh, I don't know. Hopefully we'll see some, uh, we'll, we'll see a change of mentality looking forward, but I don't, I don't see it in the cards because, uh, I mean, this just seems to happen every year where the team is just loaded with, uh, you know, players in the last year of, uh, eligibility. Mm-hmm. Well, normally you would expect a 19 year old to be better than an 18 year old. So there always are going to be more 19-year-olds and 18-year-olds and more 18-year-olds and 17-year-olds. But you wouldn't expect there to be this much uh, disparity. Actually, I think the last time Canada won gold in 2018, if I remember correctly, there were only like three 18-year-olds and the rest of the team was all 19. So they did win gold that year, but 
I think they did leave some great talent off that team. I remember Owen Tippett was cut, Nick Suzuki was cut. So, so it happens, but but you never know. You never know. So next week, next week is our uh, our last show before the juniors start. So we might go more in depth then on a full world junior preview. Maybe look at all the teams. Maybe make a couple predictions. But uh, that's it on the the juniors for today. Uh, before we go into our weekly standings checkup, I have one fun piece of trivia for you that I have not given okay. to you yet. Are you ready? Shoot it. Got your thinking cap yes. on? All right. So, oh, yeah. So recently, Caden Primo became the 10th goalie to play for the Montreal Canadiens in at least one game since the start of the 2011-12 season. Can you name the other nine? Okay. All right, all right. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. So, uh, I think uh, we've got to go with the most obvious one here, Dustin Tokarski. Oh, yeah. uh, let's go. Let's go. Huh. Uh, okay, so that's what's one, right? We got uh, Charlie Lindgren. Let's go. Let's go. Yep. Uh, let's see. I remember Peter Budai. He was on the oh. team. Yep. Let's see. Uh, Kiki <laughs> Kate. Yep. How can I uh, forget there? That's uh, four. I, five more. Are we uh, counting? Do I, wait. Primo's not one of them, is he? What? No, Primo's one, and then there yeah. are nine more. Nine more. So I've named four out of nine? Uh, yes, you have named four out of nine. Okay. All right, all right, all right. Uh, let, let me think. Let me think. Some notable backups here. Uh, we hmm. had uh, Big Al Montoya. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, he was a stud. Uh, that's, that's a five. Uh, let me think. Let me think. Uh, was Mike Condon part of the... Mike Condon. Let's yep. go, Mike Condon. So, okay, okay, that's six. So, uh, yeah. Three more goalies, three more goalies. Three more goalies. Okay, okay, let me think. Uh, hmm. Okay. Have I named all the notable backups? Am I missing one or two? Uh, you are missing, well, there's the one who's played the most games, who you still have yet to name. Are you saving him for the end? Uh, the one who's played the most games? Yes. As a backup? No, no, goalie, just a goalie. Carey Price. I already said Carey Price. No. No, you didn't. You just you, you oh, just did? didn't say Carey oh. Price. So oh, okay. I, Whoops. <laughs> My bad. Uh, Carey Price. All right, that's a Unless, seven. Easy. I don't that's think you did. I don't think you did. If I if I missed it, oh. now everyone's listening and they heard it and they and now I'd oh, be no, embarrassed. I probably forgot. Uh, let's not kid ourselves. Uh, so uh, let's see. So I'm missing two more. Yeah. Two uh, who could it be? Who could it be? I'm looking back, looking back. So it's been Kincaid. Uh, who was the last year? Uh, what was the Oh, Antiniemi. I forgot Antti. Yep. How yep. could I do that to How could I do that to Antti? Yeah. Okay, okay. How could right. I? Okay, so that's eight out of nine. So looking at one here. Is oh, it obvious at all? No, this, this last one is actually the one that I thought you would get all the other ones except this one. This is the one I predicted you would forget. So don't feel too bad if you okay. can't think of it. All right, I th- I see you're uh, underselling my skills a little bit here. Yeah. Uh, th- okay, here, give me a give me a hint here. What what year did he play in, or what years if he played in multiple? All right, uh, if my memory serves me well, he played only during the 2015-16 season, and I can pull up the exact number. Yeah, he played 15 games for the Canadians in the 2015-16 season. Okay, so it's been a hot minute. Uh, a few yeah. years. Is he still in the NHL? He is not in the NHL anymore. Is he still playing? 
Is he that old? Uh, according to HockeyDB, he last played in the 17-18 year in the KHL. Okay, the KHL. Uh huh. Let me think. So he did. Did he play for? Uh, did he go from the Habs to the KHL? Like uh, a little jump there. Uh yeah, it looks like he went straight from the uh, Canadians organization okay. over to Russia. This is uh, this is tickling my memory a little bit. Uh, I remember seeing a little news release. I can't remember it though. Uh, son of. Uh, uh, let me think. Uh, let me think. Uh, oh frick! His name is right on the tip of my tongue. Oh my god! Didn't he play in the in the? Is it the really? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did he play frick in the, the Spangler Cup or something? Did he? Was it him? I can't. Uh, uh, I'm pretty sure he... Oh, you're thinking of Zach Fucali, but it's not him. Oh, no, no, no. Not Zach... Okay, Zach, it's not Zach Fucali. Uh, no. No, no, no. I went to the KHL. I swear to God, you've got it right in front of me. Uh, let me see. Woo! I have no idea if this guy ever played in the Spangler Cup. I, I don't know. Okay, okay. It would have made sense. Uh, he probably did. Probably would have played for Canada in the Spangler Cup. Uh huh. Okay, do I get a timer here? I need a little. I need a little. Uh, okay, uh, this is probably bad content, but who cares? I need, no, no. I need to get this one. Everyone's loving this. All right. All right. All right. All right. Okay. Okay. Somebody's probably somebody probably knows the answer. They're trying to scream it through me. Uh, like me. Uh, Maybe that's me. Twenty fifteen sixteen. Okay, it's been. So that was what three seasons ago, four seasons ago. Okay, four seasons ago. Who was it? it was Miami the last couple of years? Uh, we saw some Charlie Lindgren. Uh, wait, four years ago that was Dustin Tokarski's year too, right? That was uh, 15-16 was the year where Price only played twelve games and it was Condon. Right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. And Tokarski was his backup, and I guess there's somebody who just slotted in the middle there. Uh, KHL, KHL. Uh, KHL. No, I remember seeing this news release. I swear to God. I just have to freaking remember his name. Uh, the, letter, the letter V comes to mind. I don't know why. Um, there, there is a letter V not, somewhere in his name. Okay. All right. That's good. Uh, it doesn't start. Does it start with a V? Does it his does first not, name start with a V? It, neither one of his names starts with a V. That's unfortunate. <laughs> ben Scrivens. Is it Ben Scrivens? Ben Scrivens. Yay. Oh, no. You did ben it. Scrivens. Let's go. That's nine for nine. Ah, wow. yeah. Okay, okay. Let me see. I need to see. Then he's playing the Spangler Cup. Uh, I'm looking Probably. it up right now. Ben. I feel like Ben. Let's see. Did he play in the Spangler Cup? Uh, absolutely, he did. Ben Skirmish, 2016 Spangler Cup start, baby. According to the first, uh, uh, first hockey Canada result that comes up on my Google search. Uh, so uh, yeah, he played in 16, 17. He played, oh my goodness, he played right after uh, he, he left. Uh, actually, he didn't even play for Canada. He played for Dynamo Minsk. Uh, but I remember seeing the Spangler mm-hmm. Cup. Uh, let's go, let's go. Ben Skirvitz, baby. I forgot about All him. Right. Uh, and so, I'm oh, proud of you. Good job. I know why I thought of him in the, in the, yeah. uh, in the international sense. Because he played, uh, he was on the Olympic team for Canada. Right. Yes, he was. At uh, Chongqing. Yes, yes, Ben Scrivens. What an absolute beauty. Okay, I'm pumped. All right, good job, good job. All right, Thank so you. I believe now it's time for our weekly standings checkup. Okay, let's go. We let's could go. pull it up. All right, you and you said that the Bruins had lost five in a row, but it's looking like you lied, and it was actually only four. Unless... Uh, whoops. 
unless uh, Obviously, this, this NHL has on their standings, they have like the streak and it says L4, but which means they lost four in a row in regulation, I think, because if the first game of the streak was like an overtime, then they might not be counting that. I'm not really uh, sure how I, that... uh, Yeah, you're right on that front. I was not lying. They have lost five in a row. It's just that uh, the, the first loss that they had was against the Bruins, uh, the Blackhawks. In overtime, so they have indeed lost five in a row, uh, lost some ground in the standings. They've, uh, you know, their their lead has shrunk down a bit, but still, it's still twelve points. Let's not kid ourselves because it's the NHL, so you can't move in the standings at well, all whatsoever. Or eight, eight points. points. It's an eight points. Eight points. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so yeah, they've got an eight point lead on the Buffalo Sabers, but uh, I mean, look, the teams that they've played are all very good, except for two. They've lost. They lost five two to the Senators, and they lost four three in overtime to the Blackhawks. Uh, but the other three losses, I mean, there were there were one goal losses, a couple of them to the Capitals and the Lightning. So I don't think you blame them too much. And they lost to the Avalanche two four one. The race for uh, any red flags? The any race for second with the the Bruins. I have mm-hmm. I have not been watching the Bruins, so I wouldn't know. I assume that they are playing worse than they had been prior to this losing streak. Great insight, I know. Um, That's a great. Yeah, uh, so if you what you're saying is that they've lost most of these games by one goal, most of them, except for that show against the Senators, I wouldn't worry too much. Bruins fans are not used to losing more than two games in a row, so they're probably freaking out. But I expect the Bruins are still going to hold on to this lead atop the Atlantic Division uh, until the end of the season. The race for second in the Atlantic, however, is as tight as ever with five teams breathing down each other's necks for two spots in the Atlantic Division right now, with Buffalo and Montreal holding them as we speak. But Tampa Bay is only one point back on Montreal with two games in hand, and the uh, the Panthers as well with one game in hand. Uh, the Leafs are right now two points back on Montreal, and they played one more game, so they're actually a little bit further away from the pack, but barely. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's an absolute mm-hmm. dogfight out there. Uh, just, mm-hmm. uh, I, I have no idea who's going to come out from two to six. It's absolutely ridiculous. How, I think from two to six, there's a four point difference right now. Uh, yep. And, uh, you know, so, yeah, I just, it, we'll just have to keep tabs on this. Uh, going back to Boston a little bit, you mentioned the fans, you know, you know, they're not too used to this or whatever it is. Uh, it's absolutely preposterous. I saw this little stat come up on me. Uh, oh, before the Bruins lost, or, or the the Patriots, sorry, uh, the Patriots lost last week uh, to the Kansas City Chiefs, and that was the first regulation loss by any major Boston Bruins team, uh, Boston team uh, at home uh, since the Red Sox lost uh, sometime in September. Uh, so Boston fans, uh, shame Wait. on you! You're all but spoiled brats. <laughs> I'm pretty no. I'm I'm pretty sure it was the Bruins' loss to the Blackhawks actually, about a week and a half ago. Was but that was, the, an was actually that was an overtime. Oh, first. Oh, never mind then. Yeah, first are regulation. You, you, uh, oh no, it was the loss to the Avalanche. That was it, because it was definitely the Bruins. I remember that. Yeah, they lost to the Avalanche whenever that was. I don't know about a week ago, that that broke that that streak of uh, Bruins or Boston sports teams winning at home. I don't think it was oh, the Patriots. Right. Okay. Yeah, it was the Saturday. They, 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 they lost on the Saturday, and then the Patriots lost on the Sunday. Uh, so 
I'm sure the the Boston fans are all you know weeping in their beds over this little two game losing streak. <laughs> uh, I, I uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, moving on from my little Boston rat there. Uh, the Atlanticist is absolutely uh, they're they're worse than the Metro, but they're all clumped up together. Uh, yeah, so moving on a little bit uh, to the to the Western Conference, uh, one yeah. team that sticks out to me, uh, we've got the Calgary Flames. Uh, yeah. So we saw Peter get fired, uh, and then all of a sudden their new coach comes in. I forget his name, uh, but they've looked. Bad. Jeff Ward comes in, absolutely fantastic. Uh, seven wins in a row. Uh, they've looked red hot. They're back in a division spot. They're third in their division right now, uh, tied with Edmonton uh, in record for second actually. So, yeah. yeah, the Flames, red hot, and uh, I mean, Bill Peters, he deserved to get fired because of all the crappy things he did and in terms of being a person, but uh, I think we can say with certainty that he was also a terrible coach. Oh, yes. Uh, Johnny Gaudreau is back to his 100-point pace self. Sean Monaghan's been fantastic. David Riddick has looked great, and uh, I didn't realize it was very fast, actually, those seven wins. That uh, they've covered up ground. They're tied for second in the division, as you said, and only two points back of Arizona for first. So it's looking a lot like with how well they're doing under Jeff Ward that Calgary will probably be finishing first place in the Pacific Division, I would say. Yeah, unless Arizona pulls a Taylor Hall. Oh, yeah, uh, you never know. Exactly. So uh, good for the Flames. Feels good. They clearly uh, were not in a good space with Bill Peters there, and, uh, you know. Happy to see that uh, they're doing good. Uh, any other teams that stick out uh, in the league right now? Uh, well, something that I'm just noticing right now in the, the Western Conference, right now Vegas is, is in the second wildcard spot with 39 points. And even though they uh, Vancouver has three games in hand on them, they're three points back. And I feel as though, I know three points doesn't sound like a lot, that I feel like at this point in the season, three points separating the second wildcard team and the team that's one spot out, might be a lot. I don't know if uh, I hadn't noticed that it actually was three games in hand, so maybe it's not as big a difference as, as you would think, but maybe the playoff picture is going to start to come together in the Western Conference faster than it is in the East. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. You just have to see how these games play out. I mean, mm-hmm. the schedule makers were just wonky this year. Uh, you look down well, uh, the list of playoff teams of teams that are just outside the playoffs. Uh, the Canucks have three games less than the, the Knights. The Wild have three ge- games less than the Knights. And the Predators have played five games less, uh, and they're six points behind. Obviously, games in hand don't mean anything if you can't win those games. Uh, but odds are... At least one of those teams can pull out like two out of three of their games in hand uh, because there are a whole bunch uh, who have played significantly less than Vegas. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. We'll just have to see. Uh, I mean, this early in the season, I don't know if the, the teams will separate that much. I mean, especially you, you see these teams, uh, particularly uh, Nashville, that team is very talented. They've just been underperforming. So we'll just have to see if they manage to turn it on uh, and they've got those games in hand uh, for, for a nice little boost. Mm-hmm. And speaking of uh, separation in terms of points, the Capitals have very quietly uh, been gaining been uh, gaining a bigger lead atop the entire league. Right now, they're uh, they're five points ahead of the second place Islanders. They've got fifty one points with a record of twenty three five and five. At this point in the season, if you if you have as many overtime losses as regulation losses, you're probably in pretty good shape. It's looking like Capitals, the Capitals will be. Uh, Running away with the President's Trophy if they keep this pace up. 
Yeah, we haven't talked about the Capitals all uh, at all in this podcast. No, nope. uh, they've just been that. They've just been silently extremely good. Oh, I yeah. mean, to have only five regulation losses, thirty-three games into the season, that's pretty preposterous. And I'm not gonna lie, I'm pretty jealous of that fan base right now. Uh, coming off a couple couple years mm-hmm. ago too. Uh, so yeah, I mean, the Capitals good for them. Uh, we said that uh oh, the window might be closing before they won a cup. But uh, it seems that this team is absolutely ageless. Uh, John Carlson, uh, I think for all the the talk for his points, I still think that no, like we, we just there hasn't been that much talk about this team. Uh, John Carlson silently getting up uh, to record breaking numbers offensively, yeah. uh, and uh, you know obviously Ovechkin has, shows absolutely no signs of slowing down whatsoever. Uh, so yeah, this team looks absolutely stacked. Uh, I'm not too sure how. Uh, Holtby's been looking, but uh, even if he falters, they've got Samsonov uh, right behind him. Or Samsonov, yeah, I don't know what it good. is. Uh, yeah, so uh, good for them. Uh, they seem to have figured out their goalies. they got both of them. I think Holtby is a free agent this year. Uh, they, but uh, either way, just just good for them. And uh, they look unstoppable at this point. Yep, all right. So uh, that might be a – I guess that's a wrap for, for this episode. Over an hour and a half, this one. Yeah, uh, we went pretty long, and uh, I think we'll we'll finish up uh, with a bit of uh, very very unfortunate news uh, that that mm-hmm. came out recently. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, so, uh, so Oscar Lindblom, yep, yeah, Oscar Lindblom of the Philadelphia Flyers, who uh, came out yesterday, was diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma. I think that's how it's pronounced, which is a kind of bone cancer. So he's expected to miss the rest of the season. Um, Obviously, we're very saddened by this news, both of us. And here's hoping that we can have a quick recovery for Oscar and he'll be back next year with the Flyers as healthy as ever. Yeah, I mean, this news is uh, absolutely terrible. You hate to see this happen as a person. And this this kid's only 23 years old. Uh, so, you know, I wish him, you know, the best of luck and uh, screw cancer. Uh, terrible news. Uh, and yep. so, yeah, hopefully uh, all, all the best to him. Uh huh. All the best. So we'll be back probably uh, on Saturday next week, December twenty first, because I think I might be going away starting on Sunday the twenty second. So next week we will have tonight's Red Wings game to talk about, and we will have the Canucks and Flames games to talk about. So uh, yeah, and we'll probably also do a in depth World Junior preview at that point. So thanks for listening. Subscribe on Google Play, subscribe on iTunes. That'll be it. Bye. Bye.